All right, good morning once again, church. It's great to see all of you here today, and um, I want to invite you to turn to Judges uh, chapter 17. We're coming down to the end of, uh, of our series in the book of Judges called The Empty Throne. And uh, if you remember, uh, if you've been with us back to the earliest sermons in this series, or, or if you've read through the book of Judges before, the book of Judges begins kind of with a double introduction in which it lays out God had called the people. He, he brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt. They were slaves. He brought them out of Egypt. They wandered in the desert for 40 years, and finally they had made it to the promised land. And so God had given them clear instructions. He said, I want you to go and I want you to clear the land. Uh, I don't want you to go in and live amongst the people there, but I want you to purge them out of the land so you can claim the promised land as your own and live with me as your God and as your, you as my people and experience the promises and the blessings and the joy that I want to give to you. And so that's what God had laid out for them. And sadly, in the beginning of the book of Judges, what we see is that they start out strong, but very quickly tail off. They start out going forward victorious, but as soon as the going gets tough, they begin to doubt whether God had really said that he was going to, to clear the land before them. Because God said, hey, I'm sending you against the people that are stronger than you. They're more powerful than you. You're not better than them, but I will fight for you. And early on, they believed that, and they experienced victory. And the walls came down at Jericho. You guys remember that story? And they, they went, and they experienced it. They were God's people. But suddenly, they came against armies that had chariots, and they said, oh, these guys are too strong. I guess God can't defeat chariots, right? I guess the one who created the universe with a, a word can't defeat these chariots. And so they, they, they wavered and they didn't fully obey what God had commanded them to do. And so sadly, the result was that they lived intermixed with these people and they entered into this cycle where they would, would stray from God. They would follow after these false gods. They would go like their neighbors and, and go and do these deplorable things and God would allow them to be punished for it until they finally cried out and then he would send a judge to redeem them and, and, and the judge would save them and they would follow and things would be good and then the judge would die and they would start the cycle all over again. They would drift away and we saw it's not just a cycle, it's a downward spiral, Right? So the first couple chapters talked about what happens, what, what was the result, and the result was that they didn't clear the land. The final few chapters, the final five chapters, tell two stories. It's kind of a double conclusion to the book to talk about what does uh, being obedient in a half-hearted way, which is actually disobedience, what does that do to us as a person? What kind of people does that make us when we live that way? What, what does it do to our character? What does it do to our nature? What, does, what is the result of that internally? We've seen the external results. Now we're going to look internally. What does it do to our heart? What does it do to our motivation? What does it do to us as people when we're not fully obedient to God? Now, I don't know about you guys, but for me, that's a lesson that I, I want to hear and I want to know and understand because though I strive I fail, I fall short, and I recognize that there's areas in my life, there's territory in my heart that I still need to fight to turn over and give to God. And so this story today will provide a clear warning of what it looks like when we don't do that, when we don't strive and continue to fight to give all the territory of our lives over to our king. So are you guys excited to dig into this? Okay, 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 okay. We'll get there. You know, all the commentators that I read said that nobody ever preaches this passage. This is a very rarely preached passage. And I can understand why, because when you're in the book of Judges, you want to talk about Samson, and you want to talk about Gideon. There's all these incredible stories. And then at the end here, we have these kind of uh, lackluster stories that aren't quite as exciting. They don't have this clear hero. But I think there's something really powerful for us to, to learn from this story if we look closely at it today. Uh, so turn to your Bibles, uh, to, to Judges chapter 17. Let me offer a word of prayer as we begin. Father, we thank you for the chance to, to, to study your word, that 
in the examples and, and, and the lessons that we see on the page, God, it's not just a book of do's and don'ts, uh, examples to follow and bad examples not to follow, but it's, it's the very word of God that allows us to know you. God, that's our goal. That's our desire. That's, that's it from beginning to end. The best thing that we can do in life is come to know you more. And I pray today that in this, 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 this brief time that we spend together, that we would take a step closer to you, that we would know you a little bit more, that we would, we would know your heart a little bit better, and we would see the imperfections in our heart a little bit uh, more clearly, and we would walk closer to you today. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so Judges chapter 17, it begins like this. Uh, there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse and also spoke it in my ears, uh, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. His mother said, get out, right? No, his mother didn't say get out. She said, blessed be my son by the Lord. He restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the, in the house of Micah. The man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and a household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days... There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, I wish I could bring him back. In the first service, uh, somebody's phone went off while I was reading that part, <laughs> and their phone sounded like that, that sound that a sub makes when it's getting ready to dive. You know what I mean? It's like, and it was perfect because as we read through these first five verses, there should be alarm bells going off left and right, like, wrong way, turn back, right? Like, they're doing so much wrong in the span of five verses, it's hard to kind of comprehend, right? Uh, you know, one of the Ten Commandments is, thou shalt not steal, right? Well, it begins with the story of a son who stole 1,100 pieces of silver from his own mother. And then she uttered a curse. She said, I curse that. And she said to him, she's like, I curse whoever did that, right? And he's like, then all of a sudden, he's like, man, I thought the silver was a good idea, but now I'm afraid of the curse, so I better fess up. So then he told his mom, and then his mom uh, promised to give the money to God. I dedicate this money to God. But then she didn't actually dedicate all the money to God, right? It was 1,100 pieces. She said, well, 200, that's a lot. So she gave 200 of the 1,100 she promised uh, to a silversmith and made a false idol, right? <laughs> right? The, the alarm's going off, right? Wait, isn't that another one of the Ten Commandments? Like, don't make a graven image. Don't. And, and why was that? Because God said, I'm bigger than that. Anything you can imagine, anything you can put a picture on, anything you can go and worship and say, that's what God looks like, you're missing it. God's bigger than that. And so that's why he doesn't want us to worship idols or images or, or things, because he's so much bigger than any of that. They're just draped in red flags in this story, right? They're like swaddled up like a little baby full of red flags. Like, man, I don't know where this story's going, but I know it's not good based on all the stuff that I'm seeing right here at the beginning. Then beyond this, he sets up his own shrine of worship, right? Now, in Deuteronomy, God said, hey, I'm going to set up the tabernacle in a specific place, and that's where you go to worship. That's where the priests will offer the sacrifice. If you want to come and offer sacrifice, that's where you will go. Don't set up another house of worship. I will set up one specific. And we know at this time it was in Shiloh, 
uh, which actually wasn't all that far from where they were. It's not like they could make the argument of like, oh, it's all on the other side of the country. It wasn't really that far from the hillside of Ephraim, but, but he decides to set up his own shrine. And then uh, the Levites were the, were, the, were the tribe that were supposed to be the priests. And he doesn't have a Levite, so he says, well, son, you seem pretty, pretty godly. I'll ordain you, son. You are now priest, right? And, and his son became his priest. So just red flags everywhere, right? They're setting off on a bad foot. And, and, and so what we want to look at here is, I want to share with you to begin with it. You've got to begin with a solid foundation. Whatever your story in your life is going to be, we're each writing a unique story in our life, right? Or rather, God is writing a story through our lives. And whatever that story is, if it's built on a foundation of disobedience and sin, whatever you build on top of it is not going to be any good, right? As we go forward in this story, there's going to be, they're going to come to these gray area moments where like, how can, what can I do to get God to bless what I'm doing? How can I honor God? Well, nothing up here is going to do it. you got to go back to the beginning. you got to start at the foundation. And listen, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a, a broken and sinful man preaching to a bunch of broken and sinful people. So we know none of us uh, in and of ourselves has a perfect foundation. The only perfect foundation is Jesus Christ, right? And so if Jesus Christ is the basis, if he's the foundation for our life, if whatever we build, if we're building on him, we can build something of worth and value. If it's built on anything else, it won't be of worth or value. And so God can redeem broken things, right? A relationship that starts in the wrong way can be redeemed for his glory. Something that uh, set out, you know, Brian Doback, our, our, our church planning uh, intern pastor that, that's here working with us, he says flat out, I moved to Pennsylvania for the wrong reasons. I moved here because I wanted a job at a golf course that I wanted to work at. But God could change that when Brian repented of that and laid it down at God's feet. God could take and change it. He could use that. But we always have to repent of our sin, we have to get it right with God, and build upon a solid foundation of having our heart right before him, right? We can't just say, man, I, I know I screwed up back here, but I'll just keep building on top of it. It doesn't work that way. And we'll see in the story, it doesn't work that way. So that's my first challenge to you this morning. If you, if there's just something in your life, man, all right, you're like, ding, I'm done, right? I know there's this thing in my life that I just have been unwilling to repent of, that I've been unwilling to submit to God. He's been pounding on my heart, and I've been unwilling to do it. I would encourage you, today's the day. Today's the day to get it right with him. If you've ever read the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, anybody in here ever read that? It's old school. That's right. If you read it, you put your hand up proud, right? Because that's an accomplishment, right? That's right. In that story, uh, Christian, when he gets off the path and he realizes that he's got off the path, he doesn't cut over to get back on the path. He retraces his steps all the way back to the place where he got off to make things right and he gets back on the path. And that's what we have to do in our own life. When we recognize that we've gone wrong, we need to repent and we need to do what's right to get back on the right track so that we can build on a solid foundation. And it's possible because of what Jesus has done, right? Without him, it wouldn't even be possible to get on the right foundation. But because of him, we have hope. Uh, that we can live in a way that honors him. Let's continue. In verse 7, it says, Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah of the family of Judah who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. The man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place, and he journeyed. He came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? He said to him, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where may I find a place. So Micah said to him, Stay with me, and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes for your living. Now, that sounds pretty good, right? Except we know that their family is loaded, right? <laughs> they had 1,100 pieces of silver. Now he's going to say, hey, I'll give you 10 pieces of silver a year, right? So generous. Or it just shows how much that 1,100 pieces was worth, right? Well, the Levite went in, 
And the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. And then Micah said, Now I know the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. See, he built with the wrong foundation. And then this Levite comes along, and he's like, Wow, God must be really pleased with me because he's blessed me with a Levite. And we do the same thing sometimes, right? We, we, we start setting our own course. We do what's right in our own eyes, and we're going along, and we look for any little ray of sunshine to, to look as a rubber stamp of approval from God. We're like, well, no, hey, listen, I didn't get struck by lightning. God has not struck me down, so clearly I must be doing exactly what he wants me to do. But it tells us in Scripture, it says, don't mistake uh, God withholding his judgment uh, for the fact that he doesn't care about it. If God has, has withheld judgment from you, it's because he's giving you time to repent. It's because of his grace and his mercy that he doesn't call all of us out right now uh, to be accountable for our actions, that, that he's given us time to repent and to trust in Jesus for our salvation. So uh, if you are going along and you've made bad choices and you've made bad choices, don't just look at externals and say, well, hey, listen, I've got money in the bank uh, you know, things seem to be going my way. Uh, clearly, I must be on the right path, right? Our external circumstances can lie to us sometimes. And, uh, and we just deceive ourselves when we look at it as a, as, as a seal of approval. It's interesting how opportunistic Micah is in this, right? Like, you, you kind of feel for his son a little bit, right? His son's there in his priestly thing and his ephod that he made for him, and he's, like, feeling pretty cool. And, and he sees his dad talking to the guy, and all of a sudden his dad's like, hey, son, come here. And he's like, oh, he must want to introduce the priest, right? And he's like, he's like, hey, take off your robe and give it to this guy. This guy's a Levite. He's going to be the priest now. You get back to the, uh, the, the field, right? You go watch the sheep. I found a better priest, right? He upgraded on his son, and his son's left out in the cold. That's what we do when we don't have, uh, when we're not driven by following and pursuing God's way, when we're just doing what looks best to us, our, cur our road is going to look like this, right? Because, wow, this looks good. Man, I'll do it this way. And Oh, wait, man, this sounds really good, right? And so the people in your life, they get tired of this real fast, right? Because they're like, man, I thought, I thought you were doing this. You told me you were going to do this, but now you're, you're over here. Nobody knows what the course is for your life because you don't know because you haven't anchored it to anything solid. You're just going after whatever looks shiny. Man, this looks like a better opportunity. This looks good over here, right? It's a life of inconsistency uh, that lets down the people around you. Micah's son was let down, right? He thought he was on, on, on track, and then all of a sudden he's like, nah, I found somebody better than you. I'm moving on, right? Have you have anybody? Do you guys have anybody in, like this in your life? <laughs> you thought you could depend on them. You thought you knew where they were going, and all of a sudden they turned direction on you. Or maybe you are that person <laughs> to the people in your life, and you're feeling convicted of that right now. Here's the deep thing that I want us to see here that ultimately, and this is the, the most powerful, this is the key verse in the, whole, in the whole section in these two chapters. This is it right here uh, in, in verse uh, 12 when he says, or verse 13, he says, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. In that moment, his motivation for all of this is revealed. What was his motivation? Why did he want to do all this stuff? Why did he make this shrine? Why did he get this temple? Why did he make this false god? Why did he ordain his son and then choose the Levite? Why did he do all of it? So God would prosper him, right? And so God is not the end goal. God is a means to an end. His prosperity is what he has placed upon that apparently empty throne, right? The throne looked like it was empty, and he's like, man, I'm going to set myself up there, and I think that I can use God to get where I want to go. And so his motivation is laid bare that, that he wanted to use God to prosper himself. 
Well, that's, that's convicting if we're honest in our own hearts, right? There's a, there's a lot of times where we do things almost superstitiously because we're like, man, God, I just, I really want your blessing, so I better go to church, man. If I, if I don't go to church this week, man, God might not bless me. My, my business might not do well. You know, I might, I might lose my job or, or, or you know, and, and so we, we're, we're trying to manipulate the system. God, if I check enough boxes, then you're going to have to give me what I want. Uh, I think of uh, Tim Keller wrote a, a phenomenal book. It's called The Prodigal God. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. Uh, it breaks down the story of the prodigal son, and he shows what he shows in there is that uh, there's obvious sin that just completely rebels against God. There's some people that say, God, I don't need you. I don't want you. I can find happiness out here by myself, right? And we look at those people, and we're like, man, what a bunch of sinners. What a bunch of rebellious runaways, man. I hope they find Jesus because they need him bad, right? Nobody in here like that, right? <laughs> but on the other side, just as dangerous and just as, as disconnecting from God are people that are super religious, and they say, I'm going to do all the right things. I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to give. I might serve. I might go on a missions trip. I might do all these things. But my reason is not because I know God, not because I want to know him more, not because I love him, not because I'm so grateful, not because I've died to myself and I'm now living for Christ. The reason I'm doing all of this is so that God will have to give me what I want, right? We're trying to control God. And so in both cases, the goal is not God himself. The goal is what God can give to us or what we believe God is holding back from us. And so there's really two different ways of getting at the same thing, of getting away from God and getting what we think God can give to us. But the Christian life, to be a follower of Jesus, if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, then what that means is that you want a relationship with God. Whether it brings prosperity, whether it brings lack. It's just like a marriage, right? Mike and Kimmy, you guys just got married recently, right? You made these vows, right? You said, hey, in richness and poorness and sickness and health and good and bad, whatever, whatever I go through, I don't care about the externals. I just want to be with you. And when we follow Jesus, that's what we're saying. We're saying, hey, this might, this might bring me great things. This might bring me challenge. This might be, bring me joy. This might bring me trials but I'm going to go through it all because I want to be with you. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And if we're doing it for any other motivation, it shows that our motivation, our foundation is not built on the right thing. And clearly here we see that Micah's foundation was not built on the right thing. He was doing this because he wanted God to prosper him. Contrast this now with, with Jesus, the life of Jesus himself. And, and listen, Jesus is is not just an example. He's far more than that. He's our Savior. He does the things that we can't do. Uh, he, he, he brings salvation in a way that we never could. He's fully God and fully man. I, I get all that. But Jesus is also our example. Beyond being our Savior, beyond being our Lord, our King, He's the one that we should follow. When we look at the example of His life, He never chose out of the wrong motivation. When Satan came to him after 40 days in the wilderness and, and tempted him, he said, hey, listen, I know that your plan is to come and to, to give your life and to suffer, but you don't have to do it that way. Just bow down to me. Take the easy way. This is a win-win. You can get what you want. I get what I want. It's easy for everyone. And Jesus says, never. He says, I will not deny my Father's will. I will not be disobedient to what he has commanded uh, to try and get a quick fix to what I want. And that's the example that we need to follow in our life. We need to, to know God's word. We need to seek out his will. And when, when he calls us, whether it's difficult or whether it's easy, we set the course to follow after him, not just what we think looks, looks easy or will benefit us in the moment, right? You guys with me on this? Let's continue on in the story. Uh, in chapter 18, it picks up. 
It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. And in those days the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. Now, the author here writes this in a, in a very Dan-favorable kind of way, right? Like, hey, they, you know, they just hadn't, no inheritance had fallen to them yet. But if you go back to the beginning of the book, we see that it's laying out what each tribe did. And some of the tribes early on did a great job. They went in and they, they cast out almost everybody, but there was just a remnant that was left. And some took the tribes that they went in against and, and the enemy lands and, the, and they put them into slavery. But the, the tribe of Dan, they went down against the people into the land that they were supposed to take. And the people there were more determined and more fierce. And the people of Dan turned tail and ran back to the hills and said, we just can't do it. <laughs> of all the tribes that are listed, uh, they were the ones that gave up the quickest and the easiest on what God had called them to do. And so now they didn't have an inheritance, and so they're trying to figure out what to do. So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from Eshtal, to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, go and explore the land. They came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. And when they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of a young Levite. They turned aside to him and said, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What's your business here? And he said to them, this is how Micah has dealt with me. He has hired me, and I have become his priest. And they said to him, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. The priest said to them, go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. I love what he says here, right? <laughs> because it gives us a little bit of insight into to his connection to God and his character, right? He doesn't give them a true word from the Lord. He gives them a fortune cookie, right? He says, uh, go in peace. What you do is under the eye of the Lord. Well, yeah, no kidding. God sees everything, right? So that doesn't actually tell me whether this is going to be successful or not. It doesn't tell me whether this is what God wants me to do. It's just kind of a gen Do you guys ever get fortune cookies like that where you're like, man, uh, I want like, when you leave this place, a man in a black hat will hand you a briefcase. Like, I want that specific kind of detail where I'm going to be like, dude, that was a fortune, right? Or maybe I don't. That would be creepy if that happened. But he just kind of gives us the, the eye of the Lord is upon you. Go in peace. And, and they're cool with that. They like that. They take that as a sign. Man, this is, this is God's in this, right? Verse 7. Then the five men departed and came to Laish and saw the people who were there, how they lived in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth, and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. When they came to their brothers at Zorah and Eshtol, their brothers said to them, What do you report? They said, Arise and let us go against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And will you do nothing? Do not be slow to go, to enter in and possess the land. As soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is in the earth. Cliff Notes Version. This is going to be like taking candy from a baby. <laughs> we got to do this now before somebody else jumps on it. These guys are ripe uh, for the picking. Let's go. Let's go right now, right? Verse 11, so 600 men of the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah and Eshtal, and they went up and encamped at Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. On this account, the place is called Mahanadan to this day. Behold, it is west of Kiriath-Jerim. And they passed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Then the five men who had gone to scout out the country of Laish and to their, said to their brothers, Hey, did you know that in these houses there's an ephod and household gods and a carved image and a metal image? Now, therefore, consider what you will do. Cliff Notes version, 
This is going to be like taking candy from a baby, right? This guy's wealthy. He's got no protection. There's a bunch of idols that are worth a lot. We could just go take them right now. What do you, what do you guys think? Do you want to do it? People of Dan said, uh, yes, we will, right? Verse 15, they turned aside there, and they came to the house of the young Levite and at the home of Micah and asked him about his welfare. Now the 600 men of the Danites, armed with their weapons of war, stood by the entrance of the gate, and the five men who had gone to scout out the land went up and entered and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, while the priests stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. And when these went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, the metal image, the priest said to them, What are you doing? And they said to him, Keep quiet, put your hand on your mouth, and come with us, and be to us a father and a priest. Listen, is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man? Or to be the priest to a tribe and a clan in Israel. And the priest's heart was glad, and he took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and went along with the people. We see the same opportunistic spirit that Micah had has been passed on to this Levite, that he has this same sort of heart, right? That he's not seeking to do the will of God. He's not seeking what to do, what's honorable and noble, right? Hey, no, listen, Micah and I have an agreement. I couldn't go back on the agreement, right? He's just doing whatever seems best to him, in the moment. And so he says, hmm, I could be the priest for one guy or I could be the priest for a whole tribe. Uh, no brainer, right? He's like out the door, high five in on the way out, and he goes. Is somebody going to stand up, right? At some point, is somebody going to take a stand and say, hey, I'm going to do what's right? We're looking for that, but it's, it's absent in this story. And we also see how one person's sin passes on to another, right? The, the mom made the images and then put them into the shrine of Micah, and then the Levite was brought in to, to lead people in the worship of these false idols. And now these idols have gone from one man's home to an entire tribe of Israel is now the sin is just being passed along. It's contagious. You think that your decisions and, man, I, you know, I know that I shouldn't be doing this, but it, it doesn't hurt anybody but me. It's just me. It's just my thing, right? It's never just your thing. It always affects other people, and, and sometimes in ways that you don't know. Verse 21, so they turned and departed, putting the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them. And when they had gone a distance from the home of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house were called out, and they overtook the people of Dan. And they shouted to the people of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, what's the matter with you that you come with such a company? He said to them, well, you took my gods that I made, and the priest, and, and you go away, and what have I left? How then do you ask me what is the matter with you? The people of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you, and you lose your life with the lives of your household. The people of Dan went their way, and when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and he went back home. <laughs> All the way through, you got to give Micah credit. He's consistent, right? <laughs> he went, he's like, Man, they took my stuff. I'm going to go get it. Come on, neighbors, let's go get them. And he goes, and he's talking smack, and they look at him and they're like, Dude, step off. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'm just going to go back home. <laughs> he's a coward. He's spineless, but at least he's consistent, right? Once again, he's just doing what's best. In that moment, he said, man, I really wanted that stuff, and I made that stuff, and that was good, but I don't want to die, so I'm just, I'm just going to go back home, right? The final piece of it, verse 27, it says, But the people of Dan took what Micah had made, and the priest who belonged to him, and they came to Laish, to a people quiet and unsuspecting, I'm picturing like Avatar here, right, with the, with the blue people, right? They're just like these peaceful people. They come in, right? And they struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. 
And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob, and when they rebuilt the city and lived in it, and they named the city, this is a creative name, ready? Dan. <laughs> they were incredibly creative people. After the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel, but the name of the city was Laish at the first. The people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses, and his sons, were the priests of the tribe of the Danites until the day of captivity of the land. And so they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. What a compelling story, right? I'm sure there's movie rights being developed right now in Hollywood for this incredible action tale of a guy who stole from his mom and uh, created an idol house and then hired a guy and then, and then the guy left him and then he went and stood up to him, but then he just backed down from the fight, right? What a compelling story. I mean, who do you find yourself rooting for here? Is it the mom that's an enabler, right? She's shouting out curses, and then she finds out it's her son. She's like, oh, son, if it was you, don't worry about it. It's not, and in fact, I'm going to give you all the, I mean, some of the money, right? Right? What a, what a heroic figure she was in all of this. Let me create some false idols for you, son, to put in your shrine, right? Is it Micah, the spineless would-be criminal who just continually changes directions, who you never know what he's going to do except you know he's going to do what seems best to him in the moment? Is it this Levite we find out who's Jonathan, who's the grandson of Moses? I mean, what an incredible family lineage, and now here he is, a complete disgrace to his family. We know that the Levites didn't get an inheritance in the land. They were the one tribe that didn't get an inheritance. Their inheritance was God. They were to be the priests, and there was 48 cities in the land where they could live. Bethlehem was not on that list, right? So right off the bat, uh, this Levite was living in a place where he shouldn't have been, and then transferred to another place where he shouldn't have been. He was just, uh, he was adrift and ended up being a priest in false idol worship that was disobedient to God for an entire tribe. He enabled an entire tribe to be disobedient to God. Is that the guy you want your kid to grow up to be? <laughs> the Danites, they were too lazy or, 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 or cowardly to take the land they were supposed to get, and so they went after an easier land. They found, they found people that couldn't defend themselves, and they went and, and slaughtered them, and on the way they stole a, a god, and they, and they took a, a priest, and they, and they just took whatever they wanted. Ironically, the people of Laish are the ones that you kind of feel bad for in this, right? They're, they're peaceful, they're unsuspecting, but we know from Scripture that they were, just like the rest of the people in the land, that they worshipped false gods. They were involved in, in child sacrifice and Baal worship, and, and so they really uh, were not blameless. There's, there's no hero in this story. I remember watching a romantic comedy with Trina a while back. I don't remember what it was, but it got to the end of the story, and this person had just really lived this terrible life. They, they cheated on their spouse. They did all this stuff, and at the end, they kind of come crawling back, and, and, the, and the spouse takes them in, but they never apologize. They just kind of like, yep, I did it. I'm unapologetic, but now I want to be with you. Will you take me back? And, and she's like, yeah. And I'm like, am I supposed to be happy about that? That's like, how am I supposed to root for this person? This is, this is not a good story. And in fact, uh, uh, there's a guy named Donald Miller who wrote a book uh, called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, and in it, he lays out uh, he was trying to write an autobiography, and in it, he learned about what makes for a great story. And what he found is that the things that make for a great story are the things that make for a great life. And in a great story, you have a clear hero with a clear cause, and you have a clear villain. There's a, a distinction between good and evil. But when everybody just does what's right in their own eyes, if everybody's their own, uh, the, just has their own morality and their own decision about what's right, then it's muddled and it's messy and it's, uh, it's disappointing. And honestly, it's kind of boring. And so the, the telling question that we all need to ask ourselves today is if somebody was going to write the story of my life, would a reader of that story pick up the book and be like, 
man, this is incredible. This is compelling. This is a person who had a, a cause and they followed after it and they, and they sacrificed and they, and, they, and they pursued what was just and right. Or are they going to read the story and be like, man, this isn't compelling. This is just another selfish person trying to get ahead, trying to do what's right for them, trying to carve out their own niche, trying to make a name for themselves no matter who they trample on along the way. And for me, as I pondered that story and that question this week, that was convicting. Because we all do that, right? There's moments where we act out of our own self-interest. There's moments where we choose what's better for us rather than what's better overall. And it leads to just a, a, a mundane, a boring, a, a, an unsatisfying life. But God wants so much more for us. His ways are always better. We look again, once again, at, at Jesus. What, what did Jesus look like, right? Jesus, Jesus almost never took what was better for him, right? He was the last supper, and what did he do? He washed his disciples' feet. He went to the cross for us. He didn't take on riches upon himself. He never married. Uh, Jesus sacrificed all for our benefit. He is our example. He's the one that will do and yet he lived the most compelling life of anyone who has ever lived on the face of of the earth. There is no one, even amongst those who don't acknowledge him as the Son of God, can't help but to look at him and say, he was a great man. They're missing half the picture, but they're right about the fact that he lived a life that was powerful and exemplary. Because not only did he live a life of self-sacrifice, but he lived a life for God's glory. He always said, I do whatever my Father tells me to. I live to bring glory to the Father. That, brothers and sisters, that's how we should live. If you want to live a compelling life, it's not going to come from getting that next thing that you want, that possession, that title, that accomplishment. Uh, you know, if you ever notice that the, the people that run marathons, right, they have the sticker the, 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 on the back, but then you see another sticker and another sticker and another sticker, right, because they did it, or I climbed Mount Everest, but then I had to go to K2, or, right, there, there's always another thing, there's always another mountain to climb, it's never as fulfilling as you think it is, because Ultimately, those things are great. They're incredible accomplishments. If you run a marathon, I admire you. It's something I'll never do in my life, I, I can tell you. Um, but the greatest things are the things that last, the things that are connected to the will of God, his desires, his goals, his plans. And I just, I just ask you this morning, it's, it's kind of a simple message that we take out of this. This is an uncompelling story. It's boring. <laughs> it's disappointing. There's no hero. And, and in that, it's just begging for one person who will stand up for what's right. One person who will do what is good in the eyes of the Lord. Um, you know, one of the fascinating things I've been doing is, as I've been going through Judges, it's met, driven me to, to read through Deuteronomy and say, hey, what, what led up to this? What, 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 what was God's expectation going into this? And then I've, I've continued on to First and Second Samuel. And one of the incredible things we see is that the, the Philistines continue to dominate, and uh, King Saul's son Jonathan is hiding in a cave. Uh, they don't have any weapons of war. Uh, they're, they're held down by these Philistines. They're just completely dominated. And one day, Jonathan says to his armor bearer, he says, hey, you and me, let's go up there. Let's go against the Philistines. And if we call out to them and they say, come and get it, we'll know that God's with us and we'll go and we'll fight them. But if they say we're coming down to you, then we'll know that, that God doesn't want us to attack. And so they do that. The Philistines say, come and get it. And Jonathan and his armor bearer go up and just slaughter these guys, right? One guy that's willing to say, I'm going to do what's right. Not for my name. Not for my glory, but for the glory of God. We're God's people. Why are we cowering in caves? And so I want to I challenge you and I want to inspire you this morning that, that we should be living lives of purpose. Isn't that what you really want? 
Is your goal just to kind of get through life and make sure you have enough food to eat and a place to sleep until the day you die? Or, or are you striving and desiring for something more? If you are, God has laid it out in his word. He's, he's set the greatest thing that we could aspire to, and it's to follow Jesus Christ. But so many times we settle for less. And so in closing, I'll just ask you this. Uh, if we are settling for less, then the question we have to ask is, what are the areas, what's the territory in my heart that I haven't fully turned over to God? What are the places where I'm saying, God, I'm, I'm 95% with you, but, but, but there's just this part, man, I'm just not there yet. I'm not ready. Whatever that is for you, until you get ready, you're missing out on what God really desires to do. It tells us in Ephesians that we were created, we're his workmanship, created for good works. When we submit to him, when we die to ourselves, when we move forward in that, that, that God has, has all these incredible things that he wants to do. But once again, let's check our motivation. It's not because we want to do all these cool things. It's because we want to know him. We want to get close to him. We want to draw near to the one who saved and redeemed us. And the way that we know God's will is by his word, right? And so God speaks pretty clearly on a lot of things. He might not tell you what job to take or where to move or whether to have another kid, or, or whether to marry that person, or whether to date that person. But he does tell us really clearly some things about, uh, about what's right and wrong, about where our identity should let rest and lie, right? About the things that we should and shouldn't do. And if we really love him and we desire to please him, we're going to know and we're going to practice his word. I desire that for myself. You know, I'm preaching to myself. I always preach to myself <laughs> as much as anyone else. But, man, I hope, I hope that you guys are with me. The mission team, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that you guys have sacrificed this week of your life to come and help church planting in Philadelphia. That is amazing. That's incredible. And you're going to get close to God this week, and you're going to experience him because you're drawing near and you're saying, God, I'm just making myself available, whatever you want. And I want to encourage everyone of us in here that we are on mission to this community. We are on mission for Jesus in this community that he's called us here. And he wants to use us if we'll make ourselves available to him. The final thing I want to say is that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you, if you still are either uh, running away from him or if you're religiously trying to control him, you haven't yet laid the foundation upon which you can build the great things that will last beyond your lifetime. And the way that you build that foundation is receiving the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers to us. He says, it's not by your works, it's by the work that I've already completed on the cross. And he says, if you will receive that gift, then I will adopt you as, as a son and daughter into my family. And the way that we do that, Bible says, is not by works. He said, it's, it's by faith. We place our faith. We believe that Jesus was the son of God who came and died in our place. And we trust in him for our salvation, that when we stand before God the Father, uh, and he says, why should I allow you into the kingdom of heaven? Uh, we don't say, because I did this, because I went to church, because I went on a mission trip. We say, because the blood of Jesus has been poured out on me and I've received it as his free gift and I believe that you will receive him as my perfect sacrifice and that his salvation, his righteousness has been placed upon me. That's what it means. And if you've never done that, I encourage you that today is the day. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Without your word, we're just a bunch of people who may be claiming or seeking to, to, to please you, but we're just doing what's right in our own eyes. God, I don't want to do what's right in my own eyes. I want to do what's right in your eyes. I want to know your word. I want to know you. We all recognize we can have the appearance of godliness. We can look good to the outside, 
like Micah, I'm sure his neighbors said, man, this guy's got a, a temple, he's got a priest, this is the most godly guy I know, and yet his heart was far from you. And we can be like that. God, you know the motivations of our heart. I pray if you're convicting us of something today that you would bring it to the surface so we can repent and we can lay it at your feet and you can help us to move on in victory. And God, I pray that if there's any here who, who have not yet recognized that you are the rightful king sitting on the throne, that today would be the day that they would do that. That they would pray and submit to you, that they would ask for forgiveness and they would receive the free gift of salvation that you have offered to them freely, without works or merit, but because of your love and your grace and your mercy. For today, I pray today would be a life-changing day for someone, Father. Help us to go forward on mission for you, to live lives that are brave, that are compelling, that are, that are worthy of a story, uh, that glorify your name, and that give us joy and peace and passion. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I thank you for